Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manu Vef and I'm joined today by, yes, you heard that right, three guests. Three guests um, who have all been very busy um, watching Champions League football this week. Um, and it's been a big week for Football Grad because, you know, we got, of course, uh, Schachter Donetsk at Manchester City, um, Spartak hosting Liverpool and Manchester United uh, at CSKA. So let me introduce the panel real quick here. Andrew, as always, you're on here. Um, Andrew, you're not in Siberia. You're actually in Moscow, busy on football grad duty. I'm indeed, yes. Um, the classy music you can hear in the background um, is my surroundings. I'm in a hotel at the moment trying to find Wi-Fi to do this. But yes, I've been in Moscow the last two days and it's been, like you say, a very, very busy um, week for football grad. Um, and I cannot wait to get into it. Yeah, it was a very busy week because, um, new guest on the panel. Some of you might know him from the Gegen Pressing podcast where he has become somewhat of a regular. John, you were on busy as well. And this is really your first experience with post Soviet football to some extent, isn't it? You were at Manchester City versus Shakhtar Donetsk. How are you doing? You recovered from that yeah. trip yet? I, I am. I didn't get home till 3.30 in the morning because, uh, for those of you who don't know it, the, the, the UK has brilliant tactics when it comes to road working. And one of the main roads for me to travel back on, the one I chose rather stupidly, was was closed off in the middle of the night. And I had to take a detour through some tiny villages in, I think, Leicestershire, maybe. Uh, so I didn't get back till late, but I had a great time and it was all worthwhile in the end. So there we go. Well, at least it was worthwhile. It was a pretty good game. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And joining us, as always, uh, bright and early here on the West Coast, Tim. You know, we really have to find a better t time to do these podcasts. But, hey, there's good news. Carlo Ancelotti will be back in Vancouver, so maybe we'll get an exclusive interview with him. Yeah, absolutely. That's the plan. Like, we've been doing, me and you've been doing quite a few interviews. So next up is Carlo Ancelotti. We have big plans for him. Well, he got a box at uh, BC Place, apparently, so... You know, and we're, we're close to those boxes. So, yeah, we'll just go there and right check next the to We're right next to those boxes. And he apparently has lots of time now because Bayern just sacked him. So there's <laughs> that. Um, Champions League outfall. But I want to start with something not Italian related. Um, John, let's start with you. You had, as you mentioned, a very busy day um, on Tuesday and a very long road back. And th that sounds like not so much fun. But... Manchester City versus Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, you were at this game and not a huge surprise that Manchester City won this game, but Shakhtar did pretty well, didn't they? Yeah, Shakhtar were fantastic. I think chatting to a few guys in the press box who obviously don't really follow any of the post-Soviet teams, they were really, really impressed with, with how good Shakhtar were. Uh, Jack Pitbrook tweeted while we were there, uh, I didn't think I was going to say this, but uh, Shakhtar about a billion times better than Feyenoord. Uh, and yeah, that's that's the way that the, the game went. They they managed to hold it to nil-nil for the first half. They had some chances of their own. They managed to reduce City's chances to a certain uh, extent. They were lucky because there was big there were ch big chances that went begging. Uh, Aguero had a, had a couple. Leroy Sané was on fire. He had uh, a couple of chances, more so in the second half. And Kevin De Bruyne missed a real sitter. Um, just before half time. Uh, but they had chances of their own. Marlos was very impressive for me. He was causing a lot of problems down on, on the right wing because his 
counterpart, well, the the opposition player on the on the on the left was Fabian Delph, who doesn't usually play in that position. And he was given a fairly free reign to get down there and uh, managed to cause a few problems. Um, there was also a big chance that fell for Fred, the Brazilian central midfielder, um, that, that forced a save. Um, and yeah, I was in, in many respects, I was really, really impressed uh, with with Shakhtar. Uh, in the end, they did they did succumb, and City looked a lot more dangerous in the second half. Um, so the, the game did go as we expected it to go. Uh, but that, yes, Shakhtar gave a really good account of themselves. Yeah, and I mean, this was your first Champions League match as a journalist, wasn't it? Did you enjoy the experience? Yeah, it was great fun. Um, it was there was a lot of different people around me to the to the experiences I've had in press boxes before. So I was wedged in between a guy who was covering for Tuto Sporti, um, uh, and he was wanting to talk to me mainly through the whole match about Napoli, and I was trying to do the minute by minute, and he was just <laughs> he was telling me all about the Napoli game. Um, and there was another guy from SNTV next to me, and uh, so I had a good chat with him about Raheem Sterling. But yeah, the, the experience was wonderful. You know, that I really I really do still have that thrill when when you have a team coming to the uk from from a far flung place like uh, ukraine there is you know there, there still is that romance there for me uh, so i was excited it was nice to to watch and i was glad that that Shakhtar came and uh, did did a good job in, in many respects so yeah it was it was good fun and then i went to the press conferences afterwards um and got went to the mix zone too which was which was an experience yeah and in the mix zone you got to speak to some of the players actually and i think um you spoke to gundogan didn't you That's right. Yeah, Gundogan was. He came down the, the the line, and he basically spoke to everyone. I think he must have been getting quite lonely because he's been out for six months with knee problems. He came down the whole line in the mix zone and was talking to everyone, even the the sort of independent Man City podcaster who sort of squeezed his way in at the end. Um, he he must have been speaking for about half an hour, and his English was very good. He's a clearly quite an erudite, erudite guy, a smart guy. Um, so we got I got about five minutes of uh, of conversation with him um, recorded. That's fantastic. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely listen to that probably on over on the game pressing podcast when we speak about the German national team. But, um, Tim, you and I, we, of course, we're, we follow that region a lot closer. What was your impression? You know, when you, when you saw the result, Schachter's result, and, um, I know your focus was mostly on the Sparta game, but people often get surprised when, you know, these teams come over. But Schachter have been a European side for such a long time, a very experienced European side. Exactly. I don't know what people get uh, surprised about. Of course, there are some political problems, and it's not <clears throat> it's not easy for them. Uh, first of all, because they don't play at home, and they have to do all this extra traveling, and uh, the whole situation in the country is not that uh, peaceful. But at the same time, it's still a good club. Like, look at the players they have, look at the experience, look at the coach, the whole the whole club. So I, I'm not sure why. Um, You, you don't expect them to be, to, to win the Champions League, but you expect them to be a fairly strong side in the group. But g given all that, Man City is just a level above. Like, I, I haven't watched the full game. I watched the highlights and the impression I got from the highlights that just Man City were pretty much all over, all over them. But Shakhtar held together for a little bit and then City got the goal. So I'm not sure, like, um, if there's any surprise, uh, with Shakhtar being a good team, uh, But not obviously not as good as, as the top European clubs. Yeah, I think for me personally, I mean, I've been following Schachter's development for quite some time, and I I helped the the good folks over at City Watch to put together their preview, and um, we were also actually kind enough to speak to you, John, right ahead of this game to to give us a little bit of an overview from Manchester City, and I think 
people forget how much money Shakhtar Donetsk has put, not just into the players, but into the academy, into the, the infrastructure, and not just in Donetsk, but also in, um, you know, in Kharkiv, where they are, where they're playing now. And, um, there is a real philosophy behind the club. I believe the, uh, the head coach, Paulo Fonseca is actually the highest paid, um, paid staff. And this includes all the players on, on the side. And you, you can sense that, you know, that they, they, despite the fact that they are an oligarch owned club, you know, that they still have a real philosophy behind how this, this club wants to play football and the way, um, they want to structure their football. And I find it very interesting that when uh, Lucesco, and Lucesco was there for what, nine years? When he left, they basically went out and the, the biggest signing of that summer was a new coach, Paulo Fonseca, who came in with a clear philosophy. And I think that was pretty visible on the pitch, wasn't it, John, that they actually are a club with a real philosophy when it comes to playing football. Yeah, watching Shakhtar, I really thought it felt as though there was a philosophy that, that the team were trying to develop their midfield trio in the 4-2-3-1. Um, Bernard, Marlos on the on the wings and then Tyson in the middle. Really uh, linked together well. They interchanged well. They switched positions well. And they caused a huge amount of problems, uh, actually, for, for Man City, particularly in the first half, which was also added to by the fact that both the, the wing-backs on either side were getting getting down the wings well and and really helping out their, uh, the wider midfielders in, in that three. And the two central midfielders as well, Ste- uh, Stepanenko and Fred, uh, they were they were considering the, the task that they were faced with, having to uh, follow around Kevin De Bruyne, who's really at the peak of his power at the moment, and David Silva, uh, they they gave a huge, a, a really impressive account of themselves. I was I was really impressed. It was like watching. Um, uh, it felt almost like a La Liga side, it, 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 who are who are top half of the La Liga. Um, so I was really impressed with what Fonseca is doing. He's he's clearly got them playing in a in a very structured way. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, this is. <laughs> Something yeah, I know you are a huge fan of Bernard, and uh, I know you were busy watching mostly um, Spartak. But we were kind of talking ahead of this game where Bernard is going to play, and I said he will be playing number ten. Clearly, I was wrong. Um, sorry about that, John. <laughs> I was certain he would play on the number ten. But he's such a flexible player, and we're really seeing a renaissance of Bernard um, in the last few months, don't we? Yeah, absolutely, Manu. I totally agree with you. He's always, he's long been a favourite of mine in Ukrainian football, um, and I I expected him like you to play uh, behind uh, Ferreira, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? The fact that he's able to play um, out wide, where you know I personally do think he's more useful as a number ten, but the fact that he has the intelligence to play in different positions that's the hallmark of a great modern player really and you mentioned the renaissance it's it's still incredible to think how young bernard is he's what 24 25 at the moment um he seems to have been around for ages and you know you say two or three years ago um it just seemed to have drifted out of conscience a little bit but i'm i'm so delighted that a player of his quality um is really coming to the forefront again uh, i just hope that Shakhtar can can continue to have a decent campaign. Okay, the result didn't go their way, but the performance, as John has said, was was impressive. And if they can keep that going, and Bernard is at the front of that, then you know he'll deserve the plaudits he should get. And I just it doesn't matter what team it is. I love seeing technically intelligent players getting the game time and the attention that they deserve. So I'm I'm delighted to hear that he he had a decent performance and long may it continue. 
Yeah, I, I I was really surprised. I mean, I've seen him play on the wing before, um, but you know, for me, he's a he's a typical number ten. I remember when he burst on the scene in 2013. So this is four years ago. Uh, he was linked with um, a move to Borussia Dortmund actually to replace Mario Götze. Um, it went a little bit differently. Dortmund then signed Mkhitaryan and. Um, Schachter Donetsk went out and splashed the, the cash that they received for Mkhitaryan on, on Bernard. And I think Bernard is still the, the biggest transfer in Schachter Donetsk history, history. They paid 24 million euros for him back at a time when 24 million euros were still quite a lot of money. I know nowadays that seems kind of like a joke, but, um, what people I think forget is how young Bernard was back then. He was only 20 and he's now 24 and Played, came into an environment in Ukraine that was very difficult, you know, right away after he arrived, the, the conflict that Maidan started and, uh, it was a very difficult transition for him. And there was a, at one point where he really wanted to get out of Ukraine and, uh, the, the first season or so struggled. And then he was, of course, part of that Brazil squad that was absolutely demolished by Germany. And, um, that was a big hindrance to his career back home. So, you know, seeing him play in the Champions League and seeing him play at a high level um, is really what what you like to see right now. And I think Shakhtar Donetsk, they, they almost need this kid to succeed because the way Shakhtar Donetsk has always been structured is to bring in players from overseas or develop players in their own youth academy and sell them because they're, you know, despite the, the huge ownership and the big money that they have, they are a club that are, you know, in the developing business and want to make money rather than uh, losing money. So it's a bit of a bit different structure than, you know, what you have with Manchester City because John Manchester City is pretty much the final product, isn't it? You were there at the academy, you saw the place. It's, it's such an impressive, impressive club and so impressive what they're building. So, you know, it's a huge difference. I mean, it's two oligarch clubs. We were, we were previewing this game as oil against steel, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's very, you know, it's very different kind of philosophy, isn't it? Yeah, what they're doing at Manchester City is incredible. I, I mean, I rocked up uh, the media centre, which is out by their academy stadium, and the academy stadium is better than the majority of stadia that you see below the Championship, I'd say. So they're they're really breeding players to really get to grips with what it is to be a, a professional footballer, even at that that very low level of, of of the youth. So they're coming through and they're playing in big big stadia. They they're, they're expecting crowds to come along. And I think you know that that's what that's what it feels like. You say, I mean, the word philosophy gets bandied around a lot, uh, but there is a real careful line of thought at Manchester City where they think how do we develop players bring them through uh, and and bring them to the top stage so making that walk from the academy stadium to the actual Etihad stadium itself it, it, it does feel as though you're, you're you're kind of going through that development as well these kids are spending their whole time on site looking towards that stadium uh, and looking to to actually break their way into into the first team so you you really get that sense that there is a project going on there everything is 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 tightly knit together uh, and and if you do perform well then you you can hope to progress and and the progress is very obvious to see yeah that's i mean i've heard lots about the place and you know it's it has a reputation that you you get the sense that they're building something that has um that's on solid foundation um, speaking of solid foundation, we're now match day two, uh, group F, uh, Man City are first with six points. Um, judging from what you've seen, John, it's pretty safe to say they got this group, don't you? 
Yeah, I think there's there's no doubt in anyone's mind that the City are going to go through top of this group. But I think looking at the, from the perspective of Shakhtar, they've really got everything to play for now. They they should be really positive about their their chances of going through in this group because uh, Napoli now have two matches in a row against Manchester City and Shakhtar have two matches in a row against Feyenoord. If they can get full uh, full six points from those, then they would be hoping that, that they've got every chance of going through in that second spot. Yeah, I, I think so. I think the chance is actually quite good, to be honest. I mean, you mentioned that, that the two games against uh, Feyenoord and uh, the comment, yes, um, about a billion times better than uh, Feyenoord. It's maybe not quite fair, but they are likely <laughs> are because, you know, Feyenoord haven't been in the Champions League for such a long time. And it's it's such a weird step, you know, even good sides to struggle to make the transition from being very good in the league to the Champions League. It's, it's a very weird phenomena. And I think that Schachter just having that, especially the group stage experience, um, is really going to help them to push through. So I I expect actually that Schachter will finish second maybe in this group because they have those two games against Feyenoord and all of a sudden you're nine points, right? You only really need one more point out of the last two games and you're through. Mm. And that that would be a phenomenal result. For, for this Ukrainian side. Yeah, and I think given that match day five in, in November, it's Shakhtar versus Napoli, obviously away from home. All that they, will get, they may go into that match only needing a draw um, and, and then it won't matter what happens in, against Manchester City at home. So yeah, everything everything to play for for Shakhtar. Yeah, and City might be qualified already on that last match, right? And then mm. uh, having to travel all the way to to uh, east, eastern, eastern Ukraine and Kharkiv to play at minus 10, minus 15 degrees. We'll see how they do with that. But <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is a fate that uh, another big side from England avoided. They were lucky enough to play uh, in September in Moscow rather than in November. And Andrew, you and I know the difference, what it is like between playing in September in Moscow and in November because we have done, we have covered games in both months. One is really nice and pleasant. The other one really isn't. So <laughs> you were at Mos, you were at Spartak against LFC. Well, tell us, how was, how was your special day, uh, with Spartak? Well, it was my first time reporting and being inside the Akriti Arena, which is just an absolutely spectacular venue. Um, I mean, purists of watching football will all say the key ingredients is you need the stands close to the pitch. You need steep stands so you've got a, a good view. You need good acoustics. Akrita has all of that. Um, and the truth is, in the build-up to this game, the Russian media has focused all, not exclusively, but mostly on the Spartak-Liverpool game as opposed to the Tesca against Manchester United game. Um, I'm assuming mostly because of the European history of Liverpool and how um, how they are perceived abroad. In the game itself was, oh, blimey, it was, a, it was a strange game, really, because Liverpool were utterly dominant. Spartak looks like a schoolboy side for a large part of the game. And yet Liverpool just could not find the winner. Their finishing was just quite unbelievably poor. And yet Mohamed Salah and uh, Sadio Mane were just absolutely electric. I mean, the, the, the Spartak defence could not cope with them. Um, I mean, getting into the game itself, that was quite a challenge for me. Um, but I met up with the Russia Today 
um, broadcasting crew and they had a spare press pass so I managed to get in I don't think the Spartak press guy was very happy with me because he had um, told me I didn't have accreditation and then half an hour later saw me in the press box but anyhow I didn't let that dissuade me um, and uh, yeah it was it was an eye-opening experience um, for me personally seeing the accreditation um, but also you know the uh, around the game was just as important for me you know the Liverpool fans were mingling with Spartak fans um, not a hint of trouble at all. The security was absolutely tip-top. Um, and, uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned the conditions, Manu, that you and I have experienced at different stages of the first half of the season in Russia. And um, this was just on the comfortable side. Um, any colder and it would start getting really quite chilly. So I got away with that. Um, but, yeah, what a what an occasion for Spartak. And my word, they are grateful for a point. Yeah, you bring up a couple of things there, uh, Andrew. And um, first of all, the, shall we say, chaos around press accreditation at Spartak. That's something that we can't be too happy about because you sent me a picture. And I saw pictures online of fans being in, in the press stand and then accredited media has struggled to get the press passes. Um, we yeah. we tried to communicate with Spartak and um, they did not get back to us at all. And we are, you know, in a UEFA accredited um, organization. You know, we, we have covered covered games at that stadium at the Confederations Cup. And um, I get it when, when places are full, but no communication at all. That That is definitely very frustrating. And uh, you then see pictures of Spartak fans actually being in the press box. Um, doesn't really speak too well for for the organization before the game and in terms of how they handled the press, doesn't it? Well, unfortunately not, Manu. And I swear in the press box with a few other colleagues and acquaintances and they were telling me of similar stories. Um, Alan Moore is based in Moscow. Uh, Danny Armstrong is also based in Moscow and they've applied for accreditation in the past. They've been told on the day of the game. I mean, I understand different clubs have a different way of doing things, but you'd think for, especially for an occasion like this, where there's the most attention possible is going to be on the club for a fixture like this, that they would be more efficient um, in simply arranging the accreditation. And the, the issue you raise, Manu, with the fans in the press boxes, you know, the pictures have been doing their rounds on social media and, and quite rightly, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, to be honest. Um, I mean, last night, for example, at Sky, I was sitting next to a very nice couple um, but uh, it was a, a husband and wife. The wife, I'm not even sure she understood the sport at all. She was wearing uh, NHL Boston Bruins hat, I think it was. Uh, wasn't watching the game at all. It was just on her phone. Um, and it just makes you it makes you wonder about the process, really. Um, but anyhow, the, the point is, we got in. Uh, the foot was in the door. and um, But then once the foot was in the door, of course, the lack of Wi-Fi caused a slight... Uh, disruption to the coverage so anyhow lesson has been learnt I will be much better prepared next time so uh, at least we got in that was the main thing for me personally Um, uh, and then there was the game to watch which was intriguing to say the least yeah and Tim I want to um, talk to you about that game as well because you're of course a massive Spartak fan and uh, I heard you got in a little bit of trouble in, in Vancouver. And, and did you actually go to the Liverpool FC bar to watch this game? Yeah, yeah. It's two blocks away from my house. So that was a very short trip for me. Uh, but yeah, I went to the to the bar. I was the first one there. There was nobody. And then those uh, the Liverpool fans started showing up. 
super nice people. Everyone, everyone was nice to me. But once Spartak scored, I, I obviously went celebrated crazy. And then the bar manager came up to me and said that I should to keep my emotions. And I said, I'm not going to keep my emotions. I'm here to to watch a game. And it's it's you know I'm I'm paying. I'm I'm drinking. I'm eating. So it's all good. He's like, no, you need to keep your emotions down because it's a Liverpool bar. I get, I respect Liverpool bar, but I'm not going to keep my emotions because I'm here to to watch my team play. And um, um, yeah, in the end of the in the end of the game, he gave me and my friends a free round of drinks. So I guess I was right. <laughs> well, maybe it was also because you guys actually did quite well. Were you happy with the result, Tim? Not really. I was hoping for a win, to be quite honest. But given all the injuries which we have, I was kind of satisfied with the draw. Uh, but really, obviously, like. Um, like I said uh, on the last pod, Spartak performs the best when we are in the worst condition. That just historically, that's how it's been. Every time all Spartak legendary wins came in a very dark or, or tough times. And that was one of those. And given that we were playing at home against a big side like Liverpool, um, Spartak is such a club, even like there's no real... No, there's a couple of players who still know, the, who still belong to the all-time history and who... Um, fans of the club but still even that that's just as the how Spartak is like we will heroically uh tie with Liverpool and then we somehow manage to lose to Maribor at home something like this so this is just the the club which I support this is a club in a nutshell so uh, so that's why I was pretty confident in a good result I wasn't surprised uh, at the tie uh, but I also won't be surprised when we heroically lose uh, to Sevilla at home and then we will be completely destroyed away yeah, first up is of course Ural. That will be one. Um... Oh yeah, Ural will be way tougher opponent for us than Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that, that's a funny thing. But I mean, I'm looking at some of these stats, and this this is just mental. Um, Thirty-five to sixty-five percent ball possession, and this is in favor of Liverpool, of course. Total shots four to sixteen. Wow. Shots but, on top. That's. I mean, we, we talked about it. it. It was expected. Like Carrera played exactly like I wanted them to play, and like I expected him. He, he they sat deep because like you can't really give Liverpool any room. The only moment they gave them any room, it was four on two or five on two when they were running running away. And so you know when you see that be, uh, that deep against a team which is obviously way better than you the quality of players is better than you you just ex- you you kind of expect those kind of statistics to to happen but given that we have a good goalkeeper and given that the the, the players will play the game of their life you can kind of expect that you will get those chances but uh, with a little bit of luck and extra hard work um you can get the result and this is where spartak is good at um just just like i said historically so i wasn't surprised like i knew okay they will we will get chances it just it just up to you know how those chances will be converted and they weren't so good for us not very good for liverpool and uh, but yeah so i'm 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 satisfied with the result yeah and uh, andrew you that free kick it was a it was a good free kick and this is this is maybe a question to all of us um but i'll start with you um, the, the press reaction, of course, in the UK has been that Loris Karius should have saved that. Now you were in the stadium, um, your first expression, impression of that free kick. Did it look savable to you? Well, yeah, I mean, 
this is the thing with Fernando. He's a defensive midfielder, but he has absolutely spectacular set-piece ability. He's scored a numerous goals like this um, in Russia. So I think it's perhaps a little unfair to to blame Karras entirely. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that you know, Liverpool will have done their pre-match research. They would have known that he's capable of such free kicks. Um, but, you know, OK, in, from the perspective of a goalkeeper, I was listening to a podcast where David Priest was talking about this and he was saying, he had an interesting theory of free kicks from this sort of distance. He said that when you have a wall, which every single team puts up a wall for a free kick of that sort of distance, or pretty much any distance, um, and he was saying, as a goalkeeper, he would like no wall at all because once the ball comes over that wall, you've got such little time to react to it um, and so many free kick, free kick takers try to bend it over the wall knowing that it's, you know, the goalkeeper's slightly unsighted, they've got further to travel across the goal to save it. Um, it's a bit of a radical idea to remove the wall entirely, but what David Priest was saying was that, you know, then you've got completely clear vision of what's going on with the free kick. Um, but for Karis himself, um, I actually thought he had a reasonable game, not that he had a lot to, not to deal with. For the free kick itself, though, uh, I think it's a little unfair to, to blame him. Um, it was a very, very well-taken free kick. So I'd say it's more to do with uh, Fernando's set-piece ability than, than Loris uh, Karras' error of judgment uh, as much as anything else. Yeah, John, you live in the UK and you know the British press probably better than any of us. What did you make of this and what has the reaction been like? Well, the reaction to the, the Karras free kick conceding, I think the majority of people think that he should have saved it. And, you know, public opinion is wearing pretty thin on uh, Loris Karius. We keep getting told that he was playing wonderfully in the Bundesliga before he arrived, but we're not seeing a huge amount of uh, any sort of huge amount of indication that that was necessarily the case. In terms of the press, I mean, the press are now are now sort of tr trotting out the trope that why does everyone love Jurgen Klopp? He doesn't really seem to he doesn't really appear to have done anything that that is laudable in any way. And they're doing it in that way that actually makes you question whether or not anyone is saying anything positive about Klopp because uh, there's a lot of negativity about him at the moment. But it's the same old story, really. A defensive error, arguably. And then I think in this case, attempts you can blame the defence all you like, but if, if the forward line is not scoring seven attempts on target and having seen those attempts, some of them very, very good attempts that were played fairly meekly to goalkeepers... I think the, the, there's huge questions about what what what's going on at Liverpool at the moment. To me, it feels very much like a an, an attitude problem, and and that attitude problem, no doubt, stemming from the the press um, response to what's going on. I think Klopp's clearly taken Liverpool up a level. They're, they're clearly playing better than they were a couple of years ago. He's he's on an upward trajectory. He took them eighth first season, then he only had half a season to work with them. Yeah, fourth last season. The question this season is whether or not he's going to be able to get anything out of them um, going forward. And I. I rather think that's got a lot to do with the the fact that you know they haven't really brought in a huge amount of of, of personnel. So maybe if if he can keep the team in the in the top four, if they can have a good run in the Champions League, um, then then he'll keep his job. But I I, I can't see um, I can't see the 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 press being able to hand Klopp out of a job this season at the very least. But I thought watching the highlights back. I was. I thought Liverpool looked okay. They're creating chances. They're not shipping many chances. Seven attempts on target they created. They only uh, had two attempts that they had to defend. Um, 
And, and if you look through the, the rest of their season so far, there's actually, that is a general trend. They're making far more chances than they are conceding. And the problem is, is that goals are going in and, and goals aren't being scored at the other end. So I, I think once this, once Liverpool sort of hit a level keel, they will, they'll probably be fine in, in the Premier League. And I think they'll probably be okay even still having uh, this result away uh, in Moscow. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, Liverpool fans in our in our WhatsApp chat and the one of the reactions was like, well, we're going to be in the Europa League come the spring. And I, I think this, that is a very, uh, very pessimistic outlook. No, 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 no. We're fighting for Europa League. No, no, no. That was spot. <laughs> Bayern are going into the Europa League. Yeah. They? They've, got to, yeah. they've got to stop Arsenal from winning. Based, based on, uh, based on match day two results, I think all of this is a very early. Um, I have, no doubt that Liverpool will be in the round of 16. I have no doubt. I just can't, I can't see them dropping any points to Maribor and I can't see them getting, uh, the sort of results in our last two matches that would not make them finish in the top two. I mean, that's, that's just, I don't care. Um, if you squander a whole bunch of chances, um, going to Moscow, sure, they should have won this game on paper, but I mean, this is football, right, Tim? Oh yeah, for sure. And they played against Spartak. Yeah, big, 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 big task. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. I, I think it's is all too early. I think I spoke on a podcast before the season that Jurgen Klopp is the kind of coach that needs time. Uh, it, he didn't do it overnight at Borussia Dortmund either. And you have to, when you get in, walk into a big club, and a big club that hasn't won something in a long time there's there's a whole bunch of things that need to be dusted off and cleaned off and that takes a lot of time you know you have to rearrange stuff and then this is of course this is a lot more difficult at Liverpool than it is at Borussia Dortmund because Borussia Dortmund didn't have has a lot of press attention but only in Germany right it's a German club in Liverpool all of a sudden the entire press from everywhere in the world anyone who can speak English has five cents to say about it so I think that makes it infinitely more difficult but I think they will be all right um and I think when you when you look at the way they play and I think John you point out quite a few things they, they're creating the chances um they maybe don't have the guy who puts them away and that's 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 really it for me. And I think that's something when you look at the way Dortmund play. We had a discussion on whether or not Aubameyang is world class. Well, Dortmund create a lot of chances, and that's still the philosophy that he brought in a while ago. Um, that's maybe just the the thing that you get with club football. It's always go 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 go, and his sides will create a lot of chances, and it will look like you know that they're not that they're not efficient. But in the long run, the teams that create more chances will always win. That's that's the simple the simple mathematics. So I, I, I think th the thing that Klopp has going in his favour is the fact that they these th his team are drawing matches that they should be winning, but they're playing really exciting football. And if you think back to someone like Louis Van Gaal, who is playing very very boring football badly, that's when the fans start getting frustrated. And Liverpool fans, as far as I can see, I mean, I think there's a bit of frustration with with some of the more recent results from Liverpool fans, but they're happy watching a team that is very, very exciting. And Klopp does get the uh, Liverpool playing really well, so I think that will probably save save the axe coming down uh, for any time soon. Yeah, I think so. I'd be massively surprised, but it is that season. Uh, you know, coaches get sacked. Especially Italian coaches in Munich, but uh, <laughs> Tim, one Italian coach will breathe a huge sigh of relief, and that will be uh, Carrera, right? Because he was facing the axe as well. 
And this is this with this kind of result, um, that will give him some some room to breathe, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Massimo Carrera, and I totally support him. And I think he should stay and continue work. To me, it wasn't even a question of uh, him being sacked. But obviously, you know, Spartak is not obviously the same size of Liverpool. But if you take it within the country, it's kind of the same thing. Like everybody has five cents to say about them, and has a great opinion on coaching, on uh, physical condition of the team, on the player selection, and it just really like even Carrera, he kind of lo- not lost it, but uh, he was like. Listen, guys, there's so many good things happening around the club. You're just all focusing on negatives. And uh, really, there's like we're getting good results. Maybe we're still in the cup. Um, you know, like the, there, there, there are positive things to look at. Of course, like um, there's so many injuries. You can't really um, manage the squad effectively. So um, I really hope this will be a, a, a game which will help him and give the fan uh the negative actually no the fans are behind uh, the, the the coach it's it's mainly the press who is just selling the the bad news as he said and uh, i hope this this great result will uh, help uh to calm down things around spartak it's just it's just really been really frustrating and con- uh, cha- chaotic and negative around the team and i don't think there's anything really tragic happening so i really hope that they just leave us alone and let us play the football and let massimo carrera do, do his job Yeah, you mentioned the captain Spartaka, of course, one of only six sides that survived the fifth round of the Russian Cup, which is the first round that Russian football Premier League teams um, enter the cup in for. And <laughs> 10 Russian football Premier League teams were eliminated in that round by all of them by lower divisions. And Spartak was one of the six teams that are still in it and pretty much have a free ride to that cup final now when you look at the the way that the, the, the cup is structured. And do you think that is you know, seven points to that third Champions League spot right now. I know it's still early. It's only, you know, match day 11. But you think that is almost something that they're going to focus on a little bit, trying to win that cup, because that is a straight shot to the Europa League group stage. Exactly, exactly. And Spartak needs trophies after uh, many years of being trophyless. This is something that we need. So I think uh, that's why Spartak was one of the few teams who took the, the cup really seriously. And uh, really, you're absolutely right. Looking at, uh, at, the, at the breakdown, like the teams who they will play, the only serious opponent is Rubin Kazani. And actually, they could face them uh, in the, the round after the next one. Uh, so it's still not given. Like, you know, you still have to play all those games. But really, there's a good chance. And I, I completely agree. They should focus on the cup. And then the goal should be getting into change. Champions League. In my opinion, if we get the cup and we get uh, the Champions League, doesn't matter which spot, uh, first, second, or third, it will be a very successful season to follow up what happened last year. So I'm I'm still positive. It's 11 games into the into the season. There's everything to play for. We're still in 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 Champions League, uh, dreaming of game, getting to Europa League. There's still cup. We're still uh, seven points away from Champions League. I don't know what the what the drama is. Yeah. I, I think this result is very good news for Spartak, to be honest, because this is the kind of result that you need kickstart the season. You mentioned injuries. Um, any news on Raparov's injury? I glanced on the phone. I saw there's a potential ACL there. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it looks like it is, uh, it is ACL. He did the, some kind of tests, but uh, there's no official results yet. But Fidun said it's uh, mostly ACL and it's the fourth ACL in the season. Even Fidun said somebody cursed us. So, uh, you know, mm. he has his own vision of everything, but really four ACLs in one season. And those ACLs, you know, you can't really manage those. It just really... It's just what happened. So really, uh, like really, it's a tough season for 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 the club. And um, uh, yeah, but I'm very very. Even Selichov joined great the game. He was he's a very promising young goalkeeper. But I still feel very bad for Ibrovski as he the one of the club captains and one of the longest running. He's a fan of the club, so you know I'm slightly I'm disappointed that he's out. I personally think that Selichov is probably the the answer for the future. Anyways, you know they brought him in for quite a lot of money. Yeah, over the winter so you know you might as well start them but um well, yeah, see for me it's not it's more like personal than the actual plane mm. I, because he like the bro is the fan of the club so it's more from that perspective but yeah i agree you know it's a good chance for selling good for him well well hopefully uh acl spartak <laughs> gets the <laughs> gets the gets the the injury sorted and um, we, I personally hope that they are finishing in the top three because they are a big side. The Otkriti Arena, as Andrew just learned, is an amazing facility. It was my favorite stadium at the, at the Confederations Cup to cover games from because it's a, it's intimate, but at the same time, it's big and it has usually the internet works there, right, Andrew? So, um, Oh, we'll note that, we'll, we'll note that down as... Don't, don't talk to me about internet, though. Don't talk to me about the internet. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe when you told me the internet wasn't working. That is... Uh... Just my... my. Okay, I'm going... You've, you've set me off. I've got to have a quick round. I cannot, <laughs> for the life of me, understand how a massive club like Sparta in a stadium that is going to host the World Cup games, the one most important thing is internet so that people can report on that club. I cannot understand how is it that difficult to simply get a reliable Wi-Fi. However, I've learnt my lesson. I looked at the other um, journalists who had come over from England and they had uh, they had their own uh, separate Wi-Fi routers as backups and that is most certainly what I'm investing in next time. But, you know, you mentioned the stadium itself. I would like to mention just before um, we, we move on from Spartak that the, the atmosphere was just absolutely it was possibly one of the loudest games I've ever been to. Spartak fans, I mean, are amongst the best, if not the best in the country. Um, and they just did not shut up the entire game. You know, they made their TIFO choreography is always, always impressive. But the noise, just considering it was such a, well, <laughs> considering they were dominated so heavily in the game, fans did not, did not stay quiet for a second. And I thought that was fantastic and possibly played a significant part in the result itself. So, yeah, full credit to Spartak fans. Atmosphere was brilliant. Yeah, and that was something that I pointed out. That I was uh, honoured to, to do the uh, preview for the actual Liverpool FC um, homepage, and um, that was something that I that I mentioned in the preview was that um, this is going to be a, an absolute fantastic venue. The internet problems, I, that was actually something that worked really well during the Confed Cup. So maybe they should chat to FIFA and, uh, do whatever FIFA did because it was no problem at all for, for any of the games I did there. And I did five games at the Otkrite during the Confed Cup. So lessons learned. Maybe, uh, we'll drop Spartak an email and, and, and voice. Yeah, and they won't comments. respond. And they won't respond because that uh, Drachtenberg doesn't have email, but. <laughs> Which also means he won't listen to this and we won't get into any trouble. So there you go. Um, 
Real briefly, Karabach against Roma, that was the... Uh, we're all safe. We're all safe, yeah. <laughs> um, Karabach against Roma, that was our third game. Uh, Karabach exceeded expectations, in my opinion. I watched this game early morning yesterday, um, sort of from the gym, and, and then rewatched the highlights. And I thought that this was actually quite impressive performance by Karabach against Roma. I thought that they would be completely turned over like they were against Chelsea. Um, the result was 2-1. Of course, it's very difficult to travel to Azerbaijan. It's a, it's a long trip into the Caucasus. And um, they were playing at the National Stadium, which wasn't 100% full, which would surprise me as well. You would think for a big occasion like that, they would get a lot more attention. But uh, lost 2-1 after being 2-0 down. Um, good result for them. I, you know, We all expect them that they won't get out of this group. Um, anyways, but I think that they, they can really celebrate, uh, this, this journey and, um, you know, make the most out of what has been a fascinating, uh, you know, Champions League journey for them. But I want to jump to that next game. And Andrew, I feel like this is a game that we talked about for the last two years and we'll just add to the glory of it. Because, <laughs> uh, this game, CSKA Moscow versus Manchester United, um, this was the third or fourth time they've been drawn together in the last four or five years? Well, yeah. I mean, two years ago, we were there at the um, wonderful, beautiful, um, conveniently placed Himki Arena. Um, no hint of sarcasm in my voice, you'll notice. Um, and then in 2010, they were drawn together again. And there was uh, that was probably actually a more interesting um, draw seven years ago because that was when uh, Tiska were leading at Old Trafford. It ended up 3-3. Milos Krasic scored. Um, but uh, last time we watched Manu, it was the 1-1 at Himke. Anthony Martial scored. Um, it was a relatively tentative game. And at the time, under Louis van Gaal, Manchester United were relatively uninspired, well, relatively extremely uninspiring side. So a 1-1 was a fairly standard result. But um, last night, it was um, a very different story. And to be honest with you, Manu, um, it, it did not feel like Groundhog Day for me because it felt like a completely different match. A wonderful stadium. Um, completely different Manchester United and unfortunately Tisca have regressed since then and the squad is well as we know has not been developed for a long time and I actually mentioned in my football grad preview that if you compare the transfer spending it's just eye-watering Tisca have spent £900,000 in the last six transfer windows and that alone was all on one player and it wasn't even a permanent transfer. It was on the loan fee for Seydou Doumbia to return back to the club having left six months earlier. Manchester United, £140 million spent this summer and I, I, I can't even count up. It was it was close to half a billion they spent in the same time. Um, and the, the truth is that quality told. Uh, it wasn't that Tisca were terrible. It was just simply they just weren't good enough. I mean, <laughs> Manchester United really did outclass them. And that's not my bias coming through. Um, it was a very, very impressive uh, performance. The thing I would take out of it was that I think it probably surprised Manchester United how easy it was. Um, because the day before the game, Jose Mourinho said in the pre-match, pre-match press conference that it was... I mean, perhaps he was being a bit kind, but he said the best CSKA Moscow side he's seen um, and that they had to respect the Russian side. Well, they certainly didn't respect them a great deal. were playing two up front and absolutely hammering them. So I was happy and uh, it certainly was an impressive performance from United. Yeah, Andrew, I have to actually quote you here. You wrote, this was 
Minute 27, uh, right after CSKA, uh, Manchester United's third goal, you wrote Lukaku again at the back post with almost a hint of surprise at how much space he had. The Belgian folds his arm in appreciation of well himself. And why not? He's had an easy ride so far. Uh, I think yep. I read that and I was like, that, that pretty much sums up the first 27 minutes. And we have a picture up on, you know, on football grad and we tweeted it out too, where you see basically a distraught Akinfeev picking the ball out of the net and Lukaku just standing there with his arms folded. Was it really that easy? It was even easier. I mean, the, the thing I found quite strange was that, okay, you have to accept that there's no two ways getting around it. Manchester United are an infinitely, wealthier um, side and they have a huge amount more quality than Cisco. It's, there's no hint of bias there. It's just a fact. They really are. So you have to play differently to how you play domestically. And Cisco, they play three at the back for a long, long time. Um, and But the, the, the problem was that even with the packed defence, they left huge holes um, and time and time again. There were so many chances. Manchester United should have scored seven or eight um, because um, Georgi Shenikov and Mario Fernandes were caught out of position. Uh, I, I was honestly lost count how many times. Um, and for the goal itself, that second goal for for Lukaku, it was he was in a six-yard box in a Champions League game playing against a three-man defence and he had five, six yards of space all around him. I mean, it's just inexplicable in any competition in the world. But against a top side in the Champions League when you're, you're it's not like they tried to experiment with a three-man defence they know the three-man defence and yet they still left these enormous gaps so yeah I mean Gontranko has to take a fair bit of blame for that in my opinion um, but at the very least he did play a few youngsters it's a very very slim silver lining but um, at least he did but yeah that was um it was men against boys, I'm afraid. Yeah, John, I actually want to... I know you're not uh, hugely, um, a huge follower of Manchester United. I'm not going to say why. <laughs> but uh, there were some comments before this game by Jose Mourinho. And he he was saying, like, this is a much better side than the, the, the CSKA side that I faced many years ago. Is this just typical Jose Mourinho? You know, making the opponent bigger than they really are um, and sort of selling that selling a possible defeat, but when he wins in big fashion like he did there, making him look better. Is this typical banter by him? Yeah, I, I, it's hard to know with Jose Mourinho what, what is banter and what isn't, or if it all is. I think that he's probably setting himself up here because they they struggled away in, in Rostov last, last season in, in the Euro, uh, Europa League. And there's always this, at least in the British press, there's always this um, narrative taken that going away and playing in in Russia somewhere uh, is is a lot harder than playing, obviously, at home. So I, I think he's probably just gut reacting to that. He's probably coming out and saying, covering his basis so that if it doesn't go well, he can fall back on that narrative and say, well, you know, we were we were in Russia, that these things happen. He also did mention Liverpool's draw against Spartak. So... You know, he covered all the bases in that interview, but that's Jose Mourinho, isn't it? Uh, Tim, I know CSKA are the big rivals for Spartak, but did you expect them to get that, like, to get beaten that badly? Mm, yes, probably. Uh, like, you know, yeah, I would say so, because it really, like, like Andrew said, it's men against boys and, uh, 
CSKA have heroically been playing in their uh, Champions League recently, but really, if you have no players and you, you're not buying any players and you have youngsters in your squad or mediocre, retiring uh, Russian players, then, you know, it's really tough to face one of the best teams in, uh, in, in the world right now with amazing squads. So it wasn't a surprise. Like, um, you, you could have hoped that the atmosphere would help them. Uh, but really, like, it looks like just Manchester United in a, such a great form right now. So that's, it's really hard to, uh, hard, hard to play them. So yeah, I wouldn't say it was a surprise. I, I, it was hard for CSKA to get a result. But, you know, it's, it, this is not the game where they need to get the results. The game they needed to get the result was that the Benfica away performance. So, you know, I don't think it's again, like, it's, it, it's a big strategy for, for CSKA. They played against the, the better team. They lost. Okay. Just move on and try to get points where you can't get points in other games. So yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I didn't expect them to, 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 to give anything to Manchester United, but it's not, it's not a tragedy. They just can move on, uh, play well in, in, in the, in, in the, in the, in the league and also just keep doing what they're doing in Champions League. I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful for this guy. Yeah. Um, Andrew, real quick, the atmosphere. How was the atmosphere? Well, To be fair, considering they were absolutely battered 4-1, it was extremely impressive. The acoustics in there are, are fantastic. The Manchester United fans, were about seven or eight hundred of them um, at the far end, and they made their they made themselves well heard. But the Tesco fans were they, it was very good, very impressive, um, and and I do I do mean in context of a 4-1 defeat. I always find pound for pound Russian fans are. Are louder than English fans in general. Um, you know, other than the very biggest derbies in England, I've not heard much louder than what I've heard, what I heard last night. Um, but you know, I, I would just like to point out, um, just briefly, that the again, like the Spartak Liverpool game at the Akritia, the atmosphere between the fans was was absolutely fine. There were no problems at all. Um, you know, all the scaremongering, scaremongering that the tabloids routinely delve into, like John alluded to a little bit, I guess, with the, you know, the, the horror stories of all oh, going out to Russia. It's a tough place to go. Well, for the fans, it wasn't at all. Um, Victoria Lopareva was there um, handing out T-shirts to hmm. some of the United fans who were coming through. Um, And I managed to get a get a quick word of her doing my proper work instead of reporting. Um, I no idea why I was tempted to do that, but uh, just crossed my mind as something interesting to do. But um, that's my highlight yeah. of the game: your picture of Victoria Leporio. That's my biggest moment about this game. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie; I've had quite a few interesting conversations with different journalists. I've been to two games, but meeting Leporio that is that's my life work complete. You know, game over, all done. <laughs> Hanging out with Russian supermodels and uh, Smolov's ex-wife. Uh, well done, Andrew. And, uh, it's a tough life. <laughs> so it's a tough life. <laughs> But, um, you know, speaking of this group, this is really the last point that we're going to make um, on this pod. Basel did the unexpected and defeated. I couldn't believe when I when I seen these results coming over the ticker. Basel won 5-0 in, in this group. Uh, their second match and is it now just between Basel and Benfica for that second spot we can expect Manchester United to basically rock this group right but um, Basel and CSKA they, they are the, the two that are now going to you know battle this out because Benfica look nothing like the side that they once were and anyone can shoot and know that well I, you know what Manu I, I'm glad you brought that up because it actually makes the group 
a lot different to how we all thought it would go now mm. because we assumed that it would be uh, Manchester United clear winners. And I think that's undisputed at this point. Um, and Benfica would be relatively clear second place team. Um, and we even, I think, Tim, I think you may even mentioned last pod or pod before that you, you possibly expected Tisca to struggle to even get third place. Now, it's very hard to call, I've got to be honest. Um, Benfica mm. coming to Moscow, um, Tisca uh, have got that in their favour. And if they get a result in that game, I, I really can't see how Benfica are going to um, uh, climb above them. So at this point, I'd say... I'd say it's Basel, yeah, Basel Tesca for second place. It looks looks pretty um, pretty much like that. And Basel, and, of course, still have to play Tesca twice. Exactly, and and Benfica next two games against Manchester United, so mm-hmm. it's really tough for them. Yeah, they could they could be at match day four with zero points. Mm-hmm. Um, it must not- be said. It must be said that Manchester United's groups just take the biscuit, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, John, I, I fully, I'm fully aware of your allegiances, but I can't actually deny this one. We, 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 we have had the most phenomenal luck with Champions League draws in recent years. Um, and the worst part is we haven't taken advantage of that. Um, certainly not every campaign, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm not complaining. Let's just remind put it that way. me, weren't you in a group with Basel before and you didn't actually make it out? No idea what you're talking about. That might be Chelsea. <laughs> is it, is it Chelsea? Did Chelsea do the same thing? And then they bought uh, they bought Mohamed Salah yeah. just to stop him from scoring against them. That's right. I think Basel <laughs> eliminated both in the past has eliminated both Manchester United and Chelsea in the group stage, haven't they? It may be the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, that- I, I, I can't. I can't possibly comment either way on that. <laughs> <laughs> no biased, but yeah, I, I think that is, is. I'm. I'm personally. I'm a huge fan of Swiss football and the the Basel. The Basel construct, I think that in Swiss football, given, I mean, Swiss sport in general, they're very good at, at pretty much every sport that they do. Um, they, they're very well structured and they manage with very little resources to every once in a while upset the upper card. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't discount Basel in this at all. I think that they are a very, very well run club, always have been. Um, a little bit of a restructuring right now with ownership, etc. They actually voluntarily changed ownership because they felt that, um, with the current ownership, they have reached the, the, the high point, there wasn't anything else. So they wanted to bring in fresh blood. So the owners actually decided to sell the club and for, for benefiting the, the club, um, which is a story you don't really hear that often. And, um, it just shows you that Basel and Swiss football are a little bit of a different world when it comes to football and the way it's run. But that's a, that's a topic for a different part, different time. Um, guys, that's it. That's our Champions League recap. The English invasion of, uh, Moscow, I guess, will be the name of this one. And, uh, well, I don't know how we're going to fit Schachter in that, but I'll figure it out. Anyways, John, um, thanks for coming on, first of all. And second, what are you up to? I heard you have a new job. That's very exciting. Yeah, I'm lucky enough to have got a uh, football editorship for a sports website, a small sports website. It's just London-based uh, uh, website called Real Sport. But, uh, yeah, I get con- creative control over their website. They cover the major leagues in, in Europe uh, as well as just the Premier League in particular. So I'm really excited to get about getting uh, my teeth in down there and, yeah, hopefully watch this space. Huge congrats, by the way. Um, Thank you. I- Andrew, you're still in Moscow, but you're heading back to Siberia very soon, I gather? Yes, in a few hours' time. Uh, I'll head off to Domodedovo Airport in about three hours. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of what I'll be up to, I'll be, I'll certainly get, keep getting involved in more previews as the Champions League campaign continues on Football Grad. And um, slightly further ahead, um, I will be applying for accreditation for the opening match of the Luzhniki Stadium in November against Argentina. So that will be that will be a very exciting opportunity. So um, it's a couple of months off, but. Um, uh, but sorry, less than that actually. But that's what I'm. That's my big plan for the next few weeks. We'll have to, of course, see if it will be Argentina because they might be in their playoff, right? Uh, we'll cover that when the time comes. Yes. <laughs> Tim, how about you? Uh, Russian Rockets still going well? Yeah, actually, I'm leaving to do the Rocket from Russia show. Like, and actually, I should be leaving in about eight minutes. But um, my biggest, the biggest uh, highlight for me is upcoming football grad derby: Spartak Moscow versus Ural Ekaterinburg. <laughs> so this is the, I'm really hoping to chat about uh, this with Andrew eventually. Now, well, next week, so, next week, seventh against eighth. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Oh, oh, okay. Well, um, we'll leave it at that. Guys, that's been it. Uh, you can, you can, of course, find this podcast at Football Grad Live. We're also on iTunes. And, um, please, if you have any comments, uh, let us know on Twitter. Let us know on our Facebook page at Football Grad. Um, we're also on Instagram, uh, also Football Grad. Uh, leave us comments, reviews. It helps us grow. It helps us improve. And, um, we always appreciate the comments. And yeah, it's been an exciting week. And we'll, we'll, we're looking forward to the next round of Champions League. And we'll be back to Russian football and politics, uh, next week with the upcoming national team games. Well, until then, das wird dann. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.